You go to an ancient farm in North Carolina that has quite a few years on it, and you're out in the field with a metal detector, and as you're walking over the grass, all of a sudden, the buzzer goes off. It lets you know that there's metal down below. So you get your spade, and you start digging, and you pull out this big glob of something. It's hard. It's got mud caked all over it. Uh, but the metal detector re- lets you recognize that it was something of metal. And so you have to clean this glob up to find out what's inside. And after adding water, you wash it, a little soap, you discover that it's a golden bowl, an antique golden bowl that is quite valuable. Without that cleanup operation, though, you could not ever assess the value of that golden bowl. Cleaning up something dirty can reveal something very valuable underneath. Or consider this. Your spouse or your child or friend has a temperature. And you go to the medicine cabinet to retrieve the thermometer. And as you look at the case, you notice on there, sterilize before use. So you get out the rubbing alcohol and a cotton swab and you clean that that baby up pretty good and you're ready for business. The cleanup operation prevents the spreading of germs that could cause additional illness to someone whose system may already be severely compromised. Some things need to be purified before they can be useful. I think most of you even check your coffee cup or your tea mug in the morning and make sure it's clean before you fill it up. We hate to admit it, but we come into this world with impure hearts. And if we don't deal with the sin in our hearts, it will result in impure worship. And our text today in Malachi is going to show us that God is promising to do something about this. The question is, will we surrender to his cleanup operation, or will we remain outside the fold and remain impure? In our text of study today, we will see that Malachi predicts to the return remnant who are performing illegal and heartless worship that the Messiah will come to earth and purify the worship of God. Please turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. Be looking at verses 1 through 5 of Malachi 3. These verses are a continuation of the debate between the people of God over divine justice the seventh debate so far in this book. And the text before us has fulfillments that occur in the first century and in the future second coming of Christ. Both his first and second comings are included uh, in this prophecy. So we're going to consider some first century and future applications as we study together today. Please stand for the reading of God's infallible, authoritative, and inerrant word. Malachi chapter 3. Behold... I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. A few months ago when we studied this, we saw from the New Testament quotes that that messenger was John the Baptist. The messenger of the covenant was the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring an offering in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, 
as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers and his wages, the widows and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come today in Jesus' name, we ask that you will, by your Spirit, make clear your Son in this text, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will inflame our hearts to greater love and gratitude, and based on that, even greater obedience because of our great love for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our coming King. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. The main theme of the text before us, and if you only get this, you'll kind of understand what's going on in verses 2 through 5. The Messiah will come to earth and will purify the worship of God. Malachi predicts the Messiah will come to earth and purify the worship of God. God hates sin. The people have already asked, where is this God of justice? We can't see him. We can't see any work of justice. Well, Malachi told us that he would come, and he came. He came to his temple, and he cleansed it two times at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. And then he ruled over the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., just as he prophesied in Matthew 24 and even on his way to the cross. Now, some Levites and priests had already embraced Jesus the Messiah and entered the new covenant when the temple was destroyed. But the obsolete temple worship stopped in 70 A.D. Jesus, the God of justice, is coming again, though. And the destruction and separation of the wicked will be much greater in the future coming than it was in that small-scale sample and type in 70 A.D. And the final cleanup operation will be permanent. We'll see in our text today three areas of worship that the Messiah will purify when he comes to earth. The first area of worship that he will purify at his two comings is the Messiah will purify the worship leaders. The worship leaders. Look again at verses 2 and 3. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring an offering in righteousness to the Lord. The Messiah is going to retain the Levites and priests that love him and fear him and bring them into his church. He tells the people through Malachi's prophecy. But he's going to remove those who do not love him and who do not fear him. Everything stands or falls in any organization based on leadership. And so Jesus is very serious about the uh, leadership of his worshiping assemblies in the Old Covenant and in the New. It's Jesus' job as Messiah to separate the wicked from the righteous. And he did this in his first coming and in the promised destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple. The Levites and priests that converted before that destruction stopped serving in the temple because they realized that Jesus was the Lamb slain for their sins and that no other sacrifice was to be offered but the others who refused to embrace jesus as the messiah continued the sacrifices from his death around 33 a.d all the way till 70 a.d 
till the Romans leveled the city. The Romans were told that in, e- in each of the temple stones in the mortar, there was gold. And so they tore everything down. They popped every stone apart looking for that gold. But compared to what is coming, we've not seen anything yet if we just look back at 70 A.D. The next day of the Lord will be a day of division. Just as the metal smith separates the slag and the dross from the pure metal, the unjust and the wicked worship leaders will be divided from the just and the righteous ones. Just as the rocks and soap and water separate dirt from a clothes in the ancient laundry practices, those who love God are separated from those who love sin. Jesus said he would separate the weeds from the wheat, or the tares from the wheat, the goats from the sheep, the unbelievers from the believers. He said in Matthew 10, Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword to bring division. And his second coming will be the greatest cleanup operation of the world's history. Malachi illustrates how he's going to do this with two tools. The first one is fire, and the second one is lye soap. The ancient metalsmith used to use fire to heat the metal, whether it was gold or silver or some other precious metal. And he would heat it up to cause the dross to float to the top. He would sit right by it. He would never leave it because if it overheated, the metal could be ruined and not useful for anything in the future. And so he would use the fire that he had, the coals that he got to the right temperature to get the the metal to the exact right temperature so he could scrape and scoop and discard the dross and slag that floats to the top. And then he'd pour that purified metal in the mold for future use. We have a short video clip to show you how this process is done for you to kind of get this in your mind. Cooper Edmondson stayed up till past midnight to find this on the internet for us, so I hope you enjoy this little clip. You notice how shiny it was at the end? A number of people who comment on this process note that the metalsmith not only sits and never leaves his precious silver while it's going through this trial of the heat, but that when he's done, he can see his face like a mirror in the final product. And when Jesus removes the charlatans and the fake worship leaders and only has the true ones that really belong to him, then his reflection in them will be the very strongest, will reflect his nature and his face. The second illustration that Malachi uses is that of the professional launderer. He used strong chemicals to separate the dirt from the cloth. In ancient times, the cloth received a beating on the rocks along with the strong soap and the running river water. It's a little tougher treatment than uh, it gets in most Maytags today. And they also stayed with the clothes because if they abandoned the clothes and didn't protect them, someone would steal them. And so the Messiah not only sits over the silver, but he stays with the clothes during the whole trial, during the whole process that they go through. We also have a video clip to kind of show you a uh, short-term missionary with Compassion International, Southern girl, who was learning in Honduras how they've washed clothes for over 4,000 years. 
Mm -hmm. Like the soap. Like a kid's chalk almost. I don't know if I'm doing this exactly right. <laughs> but I'm getting bubbles, so that is a good sign. You just keep doing it over and over. This is a lot harder than throwing it in the spin cycle. I will definitely not complain the next time it is laundry day. So we went through the process of rubbing the strong soap on it, rubbing it on the rocks, beating it on the box, and then putting in that running water to get that dirt out, to separate the dirt from the cloth. Note that in both cases, the same heat is applied to both the dross and the pure metal, and the soap is applied to the cloth and the dirt. But these change agents bring about a separation so that the dross can be scooped off and the dirt rinsed away, and what remains has been cleaned up. That's what the Messiah is promising to do, to bring a pure worship for the triune God that we serve, that we meet in Scripture. A number of years ago, in a large American city, a soap company CEO and a pastor were walking through the town. And the CEO, after a few blocks, noted seeing a few billboards and other things around the, the town, the city. He said, you know, preacher, the gospel you preach hasn't done much good. There's a lot of wicked acts in this city and a lot of wicked people. So the pastor was quiet for a few blocks, and they kept continuing on until they come to a little boy that was making mud pies in the gutter. And the pastor spoke to the CEO, and he said, Well, I, I see also that soap hasn't done much good in this city, for there's a lot of dirt and many dirty people that live here. The CEO, defending himself, says, Well, soap is only useful when it is applied. The pastor said, Exactly. And it's the same with the gospel. It is only useful when applied. And the Messiah will use the gospel to clean up the worship leaders in the New Covenant Church, just as soap cleans up a dirty child. The gospel must first be applied, though, before it makes change in those whom it touches. This is true for the people as well as for the leaders. And thus, leaders must preach the gospel to themselves every day and apply it every day so that they can be faithful to apply it to those around them. It is Jesus' job to rule over creation. He sits to rule and to judge. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But he's also deeply and personally involved with his leaders through his providence. In Hebrews 12, we learn that God spanks all his real children because of his love for them. He disciplines and chastises and corrects them. And he starts with his leaders in the covenant community. And this part of the text is actually happening now during our era. Quite a bit of the application goes back to the first century and then forward to the future. But this cleanup operation of the worship leaders is something God is even doing now in our day. We now have pastors and elders and ministers leading the worship instead of Levites and priests after the Messiah's first coming. But this change was resisted. This change did not come easy. And so the Lord took action. Jesus was reigning from heaven as Lord and Messiah when the Roman destruction stopped the obsolete system of worship of the temple in 70 A.D. 
But before this happened, a number of Levites and priests had embraced him as Messiah and entered into the new covenant. Acts 6-7 records this for us. These are all messianic cleanup operations, days of the Lord that have already occurred. But there's two future cleanup operations that are yet to come, but the two battles still future for us. And they will also separate the righteous and the wicked leaders amongst the people on earth. You know, the hot kettle was no more fun for the gold or silver than it was for the dross. Both got the same amount of heat. But for one, it produced the end result of purity. The garment being slammed on a rock with soap on it was no fun for the clothes or for the dirt. But it was all for a purpose. The purity of the godly leaders and the removal of those not qualified to lead. God's leaders will find themselves all soapy. And they'll find themselves in the middle of a hot pot of the metalsmith. But the trial's purpose is different for them than for the unbelieving or disqualified leaders around them. The biblical leader has entered a clean-up operation. The others are involved in a clean-out operation. But the believer is never alone in this process. Just like the metalsmith sits over the, the, the silver or the launderer, professional launderer stays with the clothes every minute. When we enter those trials, either as leaders as people, God never leaves us, not for a second. And he allows it for his good purposes to bring purity in our lives. Everything in every assembly stands or falls on leadership. And so God starts with the leaders and the teachers and the directors. If you know of a person in a position of spiritual leadership that is lost, call them to switch teams before it's too late so that they can be cleaned up rather than cleaned out. Then they can surrender to Jesus. They can embrace him by repentance and faith, surrendering to him as their Lord and Savior. And then he will work in them his work of purification instead of his work of removal in that coming day. The gospel changes everything. Everything is changed by the gospel. The second area of worship that the Messiah will purify when he comes to earth is the Messiah will purify the worship services. Look at verse 4 in your text. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. This purification involves what we actually do in worship. The first directed, was directed at those who were leading it. So after God cleans up the leaders, the worship itself will become biblical and done with the right attitude, resulting in pleasing the Lord. The pure worship predicted in Malachi was the new covenant worship during the Messianic age, from the cross right up into our day and until he returns. The offerings and sacrifices of old were those that were done by men such as Abraham or Moses and Aaron, and they were done by faith by men who love God and who reverenced him and walk with him every day. That was the former way of pleasing God. Malachi says the the Messiah will come and make sure that the grain offerings, that were there for offerings as the grain offerings, will be offered properly. These were specifically given along with the burnt offering. The priest would be given the burnt offering for sin and ransom and atonement of the people. And along with it, he would be given the grain offering. 
An animal substitute would die in the place of the worshipers or the worshiping assembly. Grain offerings were also given along with the peace offering. So once you dealt with your sin issue, then you could have close covenant fellowship with God, and the peace offering symbolized that where we're praising God for his enduring faithfulness and his awesome mercy to us as sinners. We've come to him the right way, and through the blood atonement are able to approach him then as our loving Father. Who will do it right, according to Malachi? Well, he says, Judah and Jerusalem. He says, the whole country and the capital. So he shows that there is a a prediction of an extensive restoration of biblical worship. Worship matters to God. New believers instantly become worshipers of God the moment they are saved. Both the leaders and the people will be rightly focused on biblical worship and will completely please God at some time during the Messianic era, Malachi assures us in the infallible word of God. In Leviticus 10, we meet Nadab and Abihu, two sons of the high priest Aaron. And on one particular day, they decided to drink some alcohol while they had tabernacle duty. They also decided to be creative and to change the recipe for incense to be offered before the Lord. This incense was to be offered with prayers before the people. They also went into the holy place, not following the worship regulations that specifically given by Moses, when and where and how they were to do that, and both of them died instantly before the Lord. At the beginning of the new covenant worship in the Jerusalem church assembly, Ananias and Sapphira decided to lie to God in front of the whole assembly And they also died instantly. So the Bible wants us to know that God takes worship very seriously by these two beginning events in both of these covenantal worship, Old Covenant and New Covenant worship, to direct our attention to how serious God takes worship. The New Testament also shows a connection between the Mosaic Covenant worship and the New Covenant worship. There's some things that replace the old for us. Peter explains this in his book. He says, You yourselves are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, today we have a lot greater knowledge than those in Judah at 430 BC when Malachi is addressing their sin issues, and thus we have greater responsibility. John 4 reminds us that acceptable worship to God must be done in spirit and in truth. So that means we must have hearts that are engaged, that are full of the Holy Spirit, and that what we're actually doing we can find it either modeled or commanded in the New Testament. That's the truth. The Spirit is, is uh, both the Holy Spirit and having an engaged core being so that we're not sleeping on the couch, but our hearts are directly engaged, involved in what we're saying, what we're singing, what we're reading, what we're doing. That is the worship that God the Father desires, the New Testament tells us. 
Like the prophets before him, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, called for genuine worship from the heart, not just rote formalism. That is a big problem of these Jews that are in uh, Malachi's day that he's addressing. They're going through the motions, but their hearts are far, far from God. Jesus came and fulfilled Mosaic worship regulations that all pointed to him and replaced them with new covenant spiritual sacrifices that First Peter tells us about. What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, first, they're our lives. Our body, soul, mind is dedicated to God from Romans 12. Second, our prayers of praise are spiritual sacrifices from Hebrews 13, 15. Our ministry to others, Hebrews 13, 16. Our regular sacrifices and proportional giving from Philippians 4. Our lifestyle dependence and trust on God from Philippians 2. And our evangelistic fruit, the actual people we reach with the gospel, are our spiritual sacrifices we see in Romans 15, 16. Pleasing and glorifying God is what life is all about. That's what you were designed for. That's why he made you. So worship done according to the Bible with our engaged hearts is pleasing to God. But Houston, we have a problem. Many American Christians have departed from biblical worship by offering heartless and meaningless rituals that have been shortcutted to make them cheap and easy. God is not pleased when we offer him our leftovers or when we don't care about what we're saying or doing in worship. Jesus takes worship practices very seriously. Messiah's works to restore biblical worship. And he promises through his prophet that he will succeed in that operation. But you today must first have a new covenant relationship with him to worship God the Son rightly. And so you have to put first things first. If you don't know him, you can't worship him right. So make sure you know the biblical Jesus so that you can worship him correctly. And if you need some help with that, let us help you do that. Let the staff or the deacons of this church help you see Jesus in the Scripture and what it means to repent of your sins, embrace him by faith, surrendering your life to him as Lord and Savior, so that as a new creation you can worship him in spirit and in truth, the triune God and him alone. The third area of worship that the Messiah will purify each time he comes to earth is the Messiah will purify the worship assemblies. Look again at verse 5, which flows in this context. After the offering is corrected, he says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside or turn aside the alien or the sojourner, that's those that are immigrants, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies. The covenant community also needs a cleanup operation. The people who attend the worship service who are living lives of secret sin will one day be removed from the congregation, the Messiah promises through Malachi. The Messiah is God. Yeshua is Yahweh, and God does not change. God hates sin wherever he finds it. Where is the God of justice, the people asked? Malachi told them, he's coming. He's coming, and he's going to take action against those who have no reverential fear and no respect for him or his moral law. He will be the judge and prosecuting attorney 
and the first eyewitness against those who were witches, sorcerers, fortune tellers, those who practiced divination, voodoo, evil magic, or astrology. He will come as a witness and a judge against the sexually immoral covenant breakers who commit adultery and fornication. He will come against perjurers, lying witnesses. He will come against ruthless employers who take advantage of wage earners and power power people who cheat widows and orphans. And he will come against leaders who rob immigrants of their rights or deny them justice against citizens who wrong them. Malachi gives us these five lifestyles of those who don't reverence God and says they will one day be removed from the midst of the covenant community, the assembly. We are never out of God's presence or his view. He himself is coming as a witness. He himself will testify against us. He knows exactly who is practicing secret violations of his moral law without any fear, without any remorse, without any reverence for the God who is every place and sees all things and records all things. Exposure eventually comes. God is serious about his cleanup operations. About seven years or so ago, at a church in Raleigh, I was helping with a Super Bowl party, which was an evangelistic event. What this church would do was they would create their own commercials uh, and play the Super Bowl, and then they would have their own commercials during the commercials, and during halftime, they would usually have a sports person share his gospel testimony. Well, one of the things that they also did along with this was they had kind of like a chili cook-off. Well, one of the male guests that was there decided to go behind one of the tables where the crock pot was, step on the cord, and he dumped a full crock pot of chili on the carpet. Unintentionally, but it was quite a heap. I was one of the ones that was able to help clean it up, sort of, to get the heap down to a low mesh. But the next day, I placed a call to Dallas, the carpet cleaner. And he came with hot water and chemicals and soap. And in in a little over an hour, he had that spot totally removed. And even today, you can go visit that church, and there's no sign of that chili on the carpet at all. He was successful in his cleanup operation. The Messiah will also be fully successful in his cleanup operation. He will, he tells us in Matthew 25, as he taught about separating the sheep from the goats by the angels, which we referred to earlier, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. In Matthew 13, He taught about separating the wheat from the weeds. Let both grow together, Matthew records, until the harvest. At the harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, tie them in bundles to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. The make-believers will one day be gone from the worshiping assemblies. The best way to prevent that from happening to you is to surrender to Jesus and let him make you a new creation even today. And so his work will only be that of purification when he comes to clean up. He'll clean you up rather than clean you out. There's a future cleanup operation still future for us. 
Paul says in Thessalonians, God is just, and he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. And to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. The Messiah works a whole lot better than tide detergent. The old tide saying was, tied in, dirt out. A cleanup operation by man. These cleanup operations are divine and they will be fully successful. If you have not surrendered to Christ, can you give me ten good reasons why you're willing to be separated from his true sheep for eternity? Surely you love someone who is a Christian. Why would you want to be separated from them forever and ever and ever? If you're going to make that kind of a decision, you should have at least ten good reasons that you could write down on a piece of paper to justify that type of decision. Now is the time to let the Messiah make you into a new person with new loves and new desires. Christian friend, the day of separation is coming and it's going to come on a large scale and come daily in small numbers of people who leave this world. Please, please, Christian friend, pray for those who have not yet surrendered to King Jesus in your circle of influence. Those who are your friends, those who are your relatives, your work associates, your neighbors, get equipped so you can easily share the gospel message with them so they can be part of the holy people that are awaiting Jesus on his return. We've been talking today about Jesus the Messiah, the one who will purify worship with fire and soap and bring separation. He does this at his first and his second comings to earth. The three areas of worship the Messiah will purify when he comes to earth, he's going to purify the worship leaders, he's going to purify the worship services, and he's going to purify the worship assembly. A missionary once told the story of a woman in India holding in her arms a very weak, sick, crying child. And before her stood this other child that was a toddler, and he was beautiful and healthy. And she walked to the bank of the Ganges River, and he watched her with horror throw the healthy child to the crocodiles as an offering to a Hindu god. She turned toward home, and tears were just streaming down her face. And he knew it was a a very difficult time, but he couldn't help himself but asking her about the shocking thing that he just witnessed. Why Why would she, if she had to sacrifice a child, why would she sacrifice the most healthy one? Oh, sir, she said proudly, we always give our gods the best. So it must be intuitive then, even among pagans, that a supreme being deserves our best in worship, the best of our stewardship, of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, and of our truth. But a follower of Jesus is motivated by love and gratitude. A follower of Jesus is governed by grace. They do not worship him out of a fearful dread or even a hatred because of his uh, harsh demands of even the life of their children. Friend, if you love God today, 
please note that biblical worship regulated by Scripture alone is pleasing to God. And we're in the New Covenant, so it would be New Testament. Things that are modeled or commanded are what we're to do in worship. You can be sincerely wrong in what you're doing in worship, but merely doing the right things with the wrong attitude and just going through heartless motions does not please God either. And that is from Malachi chapter 1 to the very last chapter, a theme. Heartless worship is unacceptable to God and actually is a sin. It's actually better not to worship at all than to do that. But neither does being idle and letting others worship for you while you merely observe have the engagement that the New Testament reveals to us. New covenant worship is to be done in spirit and in truth. Beloved, get right with God. Come to Jesus on his terms of faith, repentance, and surrender. Biblical worship begins with a right relationship with Jesus first. Love God, reverence God, and trust him. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is awesome. He alone can save you. And he alone is worthy of worship, worthy of praise, and worthy of proper biblical worship. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this reminder from Malachi of how awesome you are, how seriously you take sin, and how seriously you take worship. Continue to work in our hearts as we come in this time of invitation to look to you, to direct our steps, and to guide us to be pleasing in your sight in all that we offer in worship. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're singing today, if you need to make a decision, uh, you can do so. If you need to seek out someone to help you understand the gospel better, you can see uh, any of the staff or any of the deacons. I'd be glad to sit down with you with an open Bible and show you the Messiah and the salvation that's available forever in him. Let's stand and sing our-